my friends, the great experiment. If you could hit it, drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. Two people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star drink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Last Generation. I guess we're not the makers of The Last Generation. I wish I was the maker of The Last Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. You may be the maker of The Last Generation as a parent to Darone. <laughs> Who knows how long this thing is going to go. You think Darone is going to draw a line in the sand on this genetic material? Yeah. <laughs> Could barely make out the title of the episode because I don't know about you, my screener had my email address dead center. Dead center. And and it really drew a bright line around how centered some of the items in shots were and how every title is right in the middle of the, you know, on the horizontal, right in the middle of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> there were sequences that were like downright confusing to look at. Yeah, I'm used to working in thirds in my compositions, but yeah, there's yeah. a lot of it uh, dead center here. Not a lot of eye lines, though, right? You're not going to get a lot of eye lines dead center. But no, that would that would look super weird. Yeah, they did not want this leaked in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, they had uh, two factor authentication going into our phones. Yeah, exciting. It felt really important that we were watching it. It did. Uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, we. Um, the last two episodes of this show, we've we've been very fortunate uh, that they've sent us screeners for this show and a lot of the uh, new Star Trek stuff coming down the pike, but uh, they usually send it in batches. We'll get five or six episodes uh, several weeks ahead of their air dates. And episode nine and episode 10 of Star Trek Picard season three, we got the week of, like on the Monday, we're recording on Tuesday. Wendy will turn around and edit by the time this drops on Friday, which, right. you know, she, she's the real hero in all of this. But, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a little stressful to be like, okay, well, I just hope uh, everything goes okay with getting that screener. You know who's <laughs> the anti-hero in all of this and what should be a a totally celebratory period in Star Trek history is the GoFobo company uh-huh. that Paramount has chosen to hitch their wagon to I'm sure you noticed there was a there's a great event happening in IMAX theaters across the country <laughs> in major cities in the United States where if you last week had gone to the GoFobo site and <laughs> uh, and clicked on your city of choice you'd be able to get free tickets to an IMAX screening of both episode 9 and 10 of season 3 of Star Trek Picard Ben, I actually went through this because I wanted us to go together. I thought this would be great. You and I see it on the big screen. It wouldn't be the first time we saw a big screen event showing Star Trek Picard, but it might be the last, so it would have been great. It was one of the worst website experiences buying a ticket I've ever had. It was two hours of pounding my forehead against the desk. It was so stupid. This website, this company is so stupid. GoFobo <laughs> ruined my day with this and ruined the days of a lot of friends at DeSoto. You were made to go to a website to register yourself with your address, your phone number, 
so you know the standard issue personal information i thought this sure. would be a company on the up and up like like an amc right you sign up for a stubs account or whatever you got to give the information so i was ready for that but on this page you're registering your information and then there's banner ads for like click here to sign up those aren't real those are ads <laughs> those are ads to sign you up for dick bills so I, so I, I, deft, wait, so did you get the dick pills? I deftly enter my information in the correct boxes. I register for a fucking GoFobo account, which I should tell you, I've been getting twice daily emails about screeners that I'm not interested in and have oh, nothing yeah. to do with Star Trek. And you can't wait to go to the, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret screener. That's coming up pretty soon. <laughs> it's almost totally. Are you there? God, it's me. Dick pills. Because on their registration page, on their emails they send you, on everything, it is nothing but dick pills and are you there, Margaret, ads. It's insane. So I finally register for GoFobo and I get to the page where I enter in my zip code. Of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take me to the fucking Grove. That's the, the closest theater that they are going to show these in. All quote unquote sold out. These are free tickets, but... No more tickets. I'm on the wait list, Ben. And we're recording on Tuesday of this week. The screening is supposed to be tomorrow night. I don't think there's a chance in hell we're going to be able to go to this because GoFobo fucked it up. I'm just upset that they're going to show in IMAX resolution a screening of the last two episodes of Star Trek Picard with my fucking email address right in the middle of the screen. Dickpills at GoFobo.com. Like... In thick letters, right in the middle. <laughs> Adam, uh, it will surprise no one to learn that I just went to gofobo.com uh-huh. and put in my zip code uh, to get passes to an IMAX screening. And when I hit enter, it loaded a web page that is just a blank white space, just a void that has nothing in it. I, I want you and all the other friends of DeSoto to know that I did uh, some especially due diligence here. I was like, what the fuck is up with this company? And so I looked them up. And there are, web, <laughs> there are websites that will tell you this information. How many employees do you think GoFobo has? Three employees! What? Three! Three employees at GoFobo! Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> But they have 98,000 followers on Twitter? What the fuck? I just don't understand how this meeting went between GoFobo and and Paramount, where it was like, God, these guys must be good. How come Paramount doesn't reply to our inquiries when we ask about getting a license deal to do a, a sunshade in a car? Yeah. But GoFobo lands the big screening account for Star Trek Picard Season 3. What we need is uh, we need to work with GoFobo to get into that room to pitch our ideas because yeah. obviously they are great fucking pitchers. We, Wendy, delete all this because we, we need to kind of cozy up to GoFobo. <laughs> How about new? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I retract all of what I said about GoFobo. We need them. I don't know if they even posted about Star Trek Picard, but they seem to have scrubbed all mention of it from their social media profiles, probably because of all of the hate tweets and whatnot. They really had a bad day. All three of them had a pretty bad day last week. Oh, yeah. 
Do you think that one of them had a worse day than the other two? Or do you think it was evenly distributed across the entire org chart of GoFOMO? <laughs> Have you ever bitten off more than you could chew as a freelancer? Like you finally are the dog that catches the car and that car just fucking backs over you. That's yes. what happened to GoFobo. Yeah, GoFobo did not have what it took to save the galaxy this time. I've been a GoFobo every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, God bless them. They caught the car. They really tried. Maybe. They really tried so hard. Uh, I mean... <laughs> and good luck to every FOD who managed to get through the, that Byzantine system. Yeah. Isn't it also that like the passes don't actually entitle you to get in, even if you've got oh, one? Oh, no. No, they don't. That's the best part. They're like a, an airline that overbooks the plane. <laughs> Hopefully you make it to where your, your destination is. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> it also just has like the sound of a uh, fake streaming website, yeah. you know, that they would like name check and- a show that's on a, a real streaming website. They are kept afloat by dick pills <laughs> and ads for them. It's <laughs> all you need to make it. Yeah. Well, they can go FOBO themselves, <laughs> and we should go review this important episode. Yeah. A bunch of FODs are like, what? No Marin? You get double Marin today. <laughs> <laughs> a double portion ahead of Star Trek Picard. Oh, it's almost like a triple Marin. <laughs> yeah! It's Star Trek Picard season three, colon, the final season, colon, episode 10, colon, the last generation. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Something Written by and directed by... Terry Metalis. I like that they replaced the uh, the Titan with the D in this logo. It's great. I love it. And it's kind of a Borgified little sequence here at the end. Yeah. Complete with a lens flare, like that touch. Yeah. Our cold open is on the bridge of the D where we were last, and we are receiving a message from President Anton Chekhov. This is the President of the Federation and it's a real callback to Star Trek Four in that don't come to Earth kind of way. Do not approach Earth. Yeah, it really felt like they kind of, they were like, oh, damn, we need to get a message out. Pull the last one of these messages we <laughs> sent so I can kind of just do I find and replace <laughs> with what the threat is. It's the Starfleet form letter of warning. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great if this pivoted the season and the episode into what's the only thing that can destroy an entire Federation fleet? Whale probe. <laughs> Big whale probe reveal. They've been keeping it out, out in back of Mars. Right, right. Like somebody did go after it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what's in Bay 13. <laughs> Dr. Jillian was on, in the cetacean studies uh, section on that science ship. She communicated with the whale probe and persuaded it to, to like hang out for a while in case they ever needed it. This is great. There's probably five comic books that tell that very story, Ben, oh, that we have not read yet. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to write them, but yeah. uh, they're listening to this on the bridge of the D. Save yourselves. Farewell. They've kind of gotten over their Marvel at returning to their beloved old ship and are now 
kind of coming to the sickening realization that they are the cavalry. They're going to be the ones that need to ride to the rescue of everyone. Not even an attempt of communication by any of the Federation allies here. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where are the Vulcans at a time like this? I guess there was that one Vulcan ship that we saw earlier. Yeah, but that was dead, right? It was a dead ship. Maybe that was it for the Vulcans. That ship was dead anyway. (laughs) It said that if Earth falls, everything falls. Yeah. It's like uh, all roads lead to Paris, right? Earth is is the center of the Federation. Yeah. If there's no Starfleet, if there's no Earth, nobody else can stand in their way. No, that's it. It's going to be a a Gerard Butler film, Ben. Coming next summer, Earth Falls. (laughs) Was it White House Down? Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, Olympus has fallen? Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. It was like one of those, like, there's two movies with the same premise at the same time years. Both starring Gerard Butler. Yeah, I think... I mean, there aren't that many action movies that don't star Gerard Butler at this point. There's London Has Fallen, Angel Has Fallen, White House Down. Yeah. <laughs> what about Olympus Has Fallen? Oh, wait, I'm clicking, on, I'm clicking on the Has Fallen series. That's it. It's a trilogy. Wow. I feel like the, the one in London, they, the gimmick was the, the power was out, so you couldn't see anything. <laughs> And that's how they got away with claiming that they were like running through the streets of London. You know, there's that 1998 Denzel Washington film, Fallen. I wonder mm. if they could like hitch that onto the cinematic universe and call it Fallen is Fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, right? Time's on their side. Yeah. Yes, it is. I say do it. Fuck you, motherfucker. We love that movie around here. Yeah. So they ask Mr. Data to scan for life forms. I just love scanning for life forms. Data discovers a Borg signal over by Jupiter. So that's where they got to go. I love this. The the idea that the Borg set up a transwarp conduit that emerges right in the red dot. Yeah. For the most drama. Yeah. There's a beautiful flyby of the D that kind of I mean, it calls back the the flyby of the D that there was in the opening title sequence of TNG, but it's like it's done digital so they can really render out like the interior spaces that we're familiar with. You can see 10 forward, you can see the bridge, you can see the uh, the conference room in the yeah. back. Yeah. It's really awesome. It is really great. I, I can't wait to see it on an IMAX screen, Ben, with an email address in the middle. <clears throat> yeah. So, so uh, they arrive, they, they look at the eye of Jupiter, which will no longer be there inside of our lifetimes, but presumably comes back in the future so that the Borgs can park in a very dramatic spot. That's the science, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a storm and it's dissipating. Oh. 20 years, they, they uh, estimate the, the eye will be gone. Hey, that's nice. Things are getting better over there. <laughs> but just as our climate goes to hell, <laughs> Jupiter's calming down a little bit. This ship coming out of the red dot is broadcasting a signal to the collective, and it's coming from Jack Crusher. So Picard on the bridge calls the play. They have got to sever that connection in order to save the fleet and Earth. And after the logo, we see just how dire the situation is, because Space Dock is still under attack, which it's been under attack for, 
I think hours at this point. <laughs> and you get several scenes throughout this episode that are actually really beautiful because the space dock is downrange from all of these streaks. Yeah. And it is really amazing. Like it's such an interesting composition. Like those streaks are normally reserved for like a ship at warp speed. But to see all this firepower concentrated on that one space dock, it's a really interesting answer to a question I know you and I have had for a long time about like just how powerful Space Dock is or any other starbase in general to a an attack like this. Kind of reminds me of in the Dominion War when they like really beefed up the defenses of DS9. Yeah. And you got all those close-ups of like photon torpedo launchers like unwinding from various structures on the station. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Space Dock can really hold its own against a Starfleet. And I mean, it's fucking huge. So it seems to stand to reason that it would be be able to hold out for a little while. If you're going to make a target that big, you, you should probably put some pretty beefy shielding on it. Yeah, yeah, it's holding its own, but you got to wonder how long that's going to be. On the Titan Bridge, the assimilated youths have detected the unassimilated firefighting their way onto a turbo lift that is on its way to the bridge. And the weapons that the unassimilated have are shooting these kind of blue projectiles. And they end up being transporter rounds, which is a really fun bit of weapons hacking here. I like it a lot. Uh, Raffi and Seven have found a couple of red shirts to help them assault the bridge. And this transporter gun makes pretty quick work of the youth. And uh, they wind up in the transporter bay and discover that the doors have been locked. I feel like they should have like welded those shut just <laughs> to really like yeah. seal the deal. Got to do better than that. Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the red shirts is like doing the I wasn't even supposed to be here today routine to try and get out of being the pilot when the Titan goes up against the entire summed firepower of the Federation Starfleet. I love that this guy is a is a chef. Yeah. It feels a little under siege to me. Like this guy is no Steven Seagal, but like I love that this guy is maybe the lowest form of crew person on the ship. Just a lowly, lowly cook. Oh my god, we're gonna die. And he doesn't have a lot of confidence about piloting this thing around. Yeah, he doesn't. Um he was busy baking Erica Oleniak into a cake uh, when uh -huh. all this started happening. And what kind of babbling <laughs> bullshit is this? I am an actress, okay? We cut to elsewhere and a assimilated Erica Oleniak emerges topless <laughs> from a novelty-sized cake. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird crossover with like under siege Star Trek and Austin Powers because she's sort of fembotting her way through the ship. I mean... I didn't know we'd ever get this amount of nudity in new <laughs> Star Trek, but uh, there they are. Yeah. Would you look at that? The cube that is uh, broadcasting this signal that's causing all these problems seems to have been modified quite heavily from your standard issue, and it is really hanging antenna in an intense way. You've seen the end of Star Trek Voyager, and I haven't. And so I really do want to ask you from time to time if any of this points back to that in your memory. Because uh, as you say, this is a surprising configuration of the ship. Data tells the crew of the D that only 30% of this thing even works. So it's really big, 
but it's also really broken. Yeah, it's in really bad shape. I don't remember there being a ship looking like this in Voyager, but it's been a long time since I've seen the yeah. sort of later episodes, so I could totally be wrong. Um, it's that haunted house Borg cube that they've been trying to figure out how to nail from the beginning of Star Trek Picard. Like They're all haunted houses, but this one's like extra super haunted, mm-hmm. and you know Troy is getting the quiet suffering vibes from it. Data's really getting fired up, talking about how much he hates them. That's just because Jack Crusher's supposed to be a teenager, right? Like, quiet suffering kind of comes with the territory. I thought he was 21 or something. Don't you grow out of it? Who the fuck knows? Is he 25? Hey, Ben. Can he rent a car? You can never grow out of quiet suffering. <laughs> right? No, you don't. You just don't turn it off. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. I'm about to turn 40. My fucking friend who's just a little bit past that tells me there's no hope? (laughs) It only gets worse? Are you fucking kidding me? God damn it! I'm not telling you it only gets worse. (laughs) It stays about the same. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) 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 So while Troy on the one hand is like, I'm picking up jack on uh, on the emoticon frequency picard is like i am so confident that jack crusher is savable here and if we can just destroy this beacon on the borg ship you know we can end this threat i can swoop in there and get our son we can do that right and beverly doesn't even want to know about any other part of the mission besides the jack part right she's just as confident as picard is I got some real reverse Return of the Jedi vibes here. It's the son that has gone to evil and the father that believes that there's still good in him. Right. You know, they kind of are doing the math here. Like whatever is coming out of Jack's genetically modified dome is being amplified by this super antenna covered cube and broadcast to all of the utes in the fleet. I mean, they brazenly ignore the bumper sticker on that cube that says, if this cube's a beacon, don't come a-sneaking. Yeah. They're going to be putting an away team together. Okay, we do it the hard way, deck by deck, room by room. How do you pick a team from this all-star crew? They kind of roll it around a little bit with the auditions and stuff. Data really wants to go with. Yeah. Data is told he cannot come. It's Riker and Picard. And I will make it a threesome. That's the configuration of the Dustbuster Club. Do you think that that's the like definitive last word on who is the A-team of away teams? Data's the ultimate Dustbuster Clubman. Yeah. Listen, you may be on B-Squad, but you're the B-Squad leader. His instrumentality is apparent later on in this episode. I mean, if he's not on the D, shit is <laughs> especially dire. So good lucky choices there. Good command decisions by Picard. I thought for sure Jordy was going to separate the ship and I was going to win this bet because when Jordy's left the con, I'm like, cha-ching. Yeah. I got this. Well, and also the, I mean, not to jump ahead, but the like, it's it, not navigable like to get into the cube and out of it. In, yeah. You, know, like, you better separate. Yeah, <laughs> I was like standing on the edge of my couch. I was like, Adam, a- Adam's baby is coming home. <laughs> and especially like the lingering moment when when Riker leaves, that unspoken moment between Troy and Riker was devastating and great. One of the great strengths of this season has been how much 
room has been given to these actors without dialogue to just kind of express their feelings via their looks. And this Troy Riker moment is one of those. We get some articulation of that moment by Picard afterward when he speaks to the crew that he's leaving behind that he fully expects never to see again Yeah, based on the subject of his last words. Yeah, it's really famous last words from Picard telling them it's been an honor. So we go into the transporter room and they find O'Brien there, still working. Miles Edward (laughs) O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And he's been totally cut off from the rest of the ship's comms. Like, he's been in there for a while, doing the rehab work on the D with Jordy. He's been doing it for years. 20 years he's been doing it, and mostly just hanging out in the transporter room. Yeah, yeah. And not a lot of fresh air in there. The door opens, and Picard's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I thought it smelled bad in Jack Crusher's quarters when I visited him. (laughs) He clearly doesn't eat as much cabbage as whoever is in here. (laughs) Oh, I wish. Yeah, uh, whoever bet on seeing O'Brien this season, not a winning ticket. No, but uh, they head over to the cube, and the first several Borgs they find on their charging mats are being consumed, cannibalized by the ship itself, I guess to support the... BQ and the project of reconfiguring the ship to make it a giant transmitter. I like this thematic callback to what we learned about the Borgs the very first time we met them. The idea of a fallen Borg's parts being taken and used by the rest of the collective. Like, they don't give a shit. (laughs) If you're down for the cause, you are really down for the cause. You really are. Adam, did you notice that if you look at the Borg cube dead on, because of the way the antennas come off, the different faces of the cube, it looks like a crucifix? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. Between that and the thing in the middle, you know, that rotates in that way, I think we know what movie's being referenced here. This place is a tomb. I was shocked by this and delighted, really. <laughs> and so happy that Frakes was given this line of dialogue. I loved it. I felt a little bit like it broke the fourth wall. For me because yeah. we've been like almost just like at us in particular. <laughs> I'm trying to suspend whatever feelings I have. Like that just feels like vanity. Like anyone at Star Trek industrial complex knows of us. I know, I know. But there are a lot of coincidences. (laughs) Man, I'm getting some really strange readings in here. It's probably just that, like, we grew up watching the same stuff that the people making this grew up watching and have a lot of the same pulls. But, yeah, that was, like, my head was swimming when that happened. So Beverly's on the radio giving them directions to the bioscience she's got for Jack. And... It isn't long before Picard tells Riker that uh, this is their last stop. And there's that awkward moment because like Picard's already said goodbye to them before. And this feels like when you walk out of a restaurant and your cars are parked in the same general area of the lot, like you got to say goodbye again. Yeah, it's just, it's weird. He kind of makes it personal though. He says like, I've got, I got to stop being a captain and start being a daddy. And (laughs) And so off he goes, and Worf and Riker are there, uh, are left to be zaddies in his absence. How great 
are Riker and Picard here in this specific moment. Like, I love moments between characters that aren't so definitional in the dialogue and instead just kind of allude to things. Because Picard attempts to make his feelings clear and Riker kind of cuts him off by telling him that he knows and he's always known and he'll know forever. I really like that kind of dialogue between characters who've known each other for this long. I I just really like this moment a lot. It's great. And it really uses their age and the age of the material that is being referenced to its advantage. You really know that Riker can trust Picard to go off and do the right thing just as much as Picard can trust Worf and Riker to go off and do their part of the mission. The camera stays in this scene for a few more moments because all of them stop to pee in <laughs> in separate corners here before moving on. And this is, mm-hmm. we get a couple of these scenes in this episode. Yeah. I was surprised that, I mean, there's a lot of ends to this episode. This episode ends a lot of times, but I didn't see it coming that the threat of the Borgs would end because three geriatric men relieved themselves and caused power shortages all over the cube. The reason the color is that way is because I take all these old person vitamins. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Worf takes double the vitamins of the others? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting. Three men relieve themselves with their four streams. There's a sweet moment between Picard and Beverly on the radio where he tells her, you know, not to bear the guilt of of what happened to Jack. Like she really like did everything she possibly could to protect him from this. And Beverly replies that uh, she doesn't regret anything about Jack. She mostly regrets the very mid sex she had <laughs> with John Luke <laughs> under that waterfall. <laughs> She's like, the situation couldn't have been more romantic. I was super in love. I was really in the prime of my sexual life. I didn't even fucking nut. Are you kidding me? And then I and then I'm knocked up on top of that. Give me a fucking break. There's nothing wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with the universe. Picard loses the signal with Beverly as she's irate with him <laughs> about their one and only sexual experience. <laughs> and then he enters the uh, the chamber where Jack Crusher's body is kept. And yeah. you get a, a long reveal of that body having been totally assimilated. Yeah. And he has a very similar face prosthetic to Locutus. Yeah. One thing we learned in a recent episode of Voyager that we watched on Greatest Gen is that they're like, specializations among drones. There's like medical drones and Mm -hmm. engineering drones, which sort of made me think that the Locutus kit was a a specialization of drone, like the- The the public speaking drone. Right, yeah. The The one that comes with the the PowerPoint remote control. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of the visual aids. Mm -hmm. And a special chip in its head to help it envision the audience being in their underpants. Sure. Yeah, he's got all that. The camera keeps panning up, and we get the demonic cackle of the Borg Queen. And uh, we remember what happened to this Borg Queen, right? She got coolant melted 
it seems like the the cube sort of reconstituted her, but it didn't do a great job. <laughs> She's looking very melted and very like skeletal, and it's a real horror show. Very scary looking. This has got to point back to those Voyager episodes we haven't gotten to yet in Greatest Gen, because the Borg's queen skull and spinal column was back at Daystrom Station. Right. In a display over there. So like this has got to be, and I've read this, like this is pointing directly back to Voyager that we haven't seen for the show yet. But what is clear is like her disfigurement is very pronounced. She's extremely melty and she doesn't have a body anymore. She's sort of set on top of a platform with a with a flared base. Mm. It looks very HR giggery. <laughs> and what's fun is like all of the sort of like bones twist up and then like cover her breasts in a kind of Janet Jackson right. hands on breast move. Right. Like from an album cover. Yeah, like no wardrobe malfunctions for the Borg Queen. Oh, that wasn't an album cover. That was a cover of Rolling Stone. Oh. See, I wanted to head that off at the pass. I know a lot of FODs uh, love Janet Jackson and Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah. So I could I could hear the keyboards firing up. Yeah. <laughs> the Borg Queen talks a bunch of shit to Picard about how the family's back together. And it's very convenient that... Uh, She's the matriarch of the whole thing again. Like, she centered herself. Yeah. They better get ready to serve this mom. The episode gets very complicated in terms of cutting around at this point. So <laughs> I think we're going to have to uh, do our best to try and weave all these threads because I think the episode does a great job of of weaving them, but it's going to be tricky. Yeah, and as the sequences are cut together faster and faster, it really builds a pace that that makes it really exciting. Yeah, I thought this episode was super well edited because I think that the big challenge is the amount of phasers hitting space dock seems so crazy. It's so hard to imagine like how long it's going to take for the entire fleet to take out space dock that it could be like distracting from a like, eh, it seems like that would be over by now standpoint. And I, I really didn't feel that the entire time. Like I felt like all of the, like the pace of play between the different story threads felt like they interacted and didn't distract from each other in a way that sometimes they have in this show. Right. Like sometimes they've cut away to something else that's happening and then cut back and like the football that was flying through the air is still flying through the air and somebody catches it and you're just like, what? Like <laughs> those two things don't take the same amount of time. That's really true. And the differences in how much time has passed in all of these different sequences is really almost imperceptible. I think it's really deftly edited together in that way that doesn't bump you. So we are back on the Titan and they're figuring out how to get away from the fleet and how to disconnect the Titan from the synchronization technology. And they hit on this idea that if they cloak, it's a line of sight thing. So if they're cloaked, maybe it will block the synchronization and they'll be able to maneuver a little bit by themselves. So they give that a try and it works. And this is Seven's time to shine. Time for a big stirring captain speech. I mean, the chef kind of pimps her into it because the chef is like, look, just a couple hours ago, I was down in the mess hall uh, making cakes and shit. Like a really, b a big cake. 
Like, like the sort of cake that that a, a person would pop out of. And I don't really ask any questions. I just I'm there to make the cakes. And now you want me to fly a ship around the assembled Starfleet? And I know you're asking yourself, you know, they unloaded like as much of the crew as possible, as, like all of the non-essential people and as many people as possible to the intrepid. And why would the chef whose main <laughs> projects in the coming week are build a cake for Erica Oleniak to jump out of, <laughs> why, why that person would be left behind? And what I need for you to do right now is do a stirring captain speech that will elide all of that, make us not think about things like that, and instead get us ready to do the most heroic thing that any of us have ever done. The rest of the bridge crew feels like this is for everyone, but that chef has locked eyes with Seven, and this is just for him. We are all that is left of Starfleet. It's a great Seven speech. Jerry Ryan does great in this moment. It's up to us. I really liked it. I think that in many ways this whole episode is about making a case for Captain Seven as an idea for the future. And more so than any of the other scenes about that, this is the one that did it for me. Well, they have to live through the day first. They hit the button on the cloaking device and they get to work on their plan, which is, I guess, distract as much of the fleet as they can so that they slow down the power bar that you see in fighting games (laughs) of the energy of space dot going down. If you can slow that progress a little bit, maybe you can give the D time to do whatever it is it's doing over at Jupiter. Buy time for the D. What you want to do is prolong Mm. what the D is doing so that it's a satisfying experience for the red dot, you know? So so they close their eyes and think about baseball. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we cut back over to the throne room on the ship, and Picard is offering himself in Jack's place, and the BQ laughs this off. Locutus is no longer of any interest to her. You see this all the time with estranged family members who haven't seen each other for a while, like getting back together in person. Things have devolved into an argument. Right. And nothing Picard says seems to make things any better. Nothing he wants to give her is going to make it right. <laughs> She's set her sights on kind of a new path forward for the Borgs. Yeah. The future for the Borgs is in evolution. And Picard realizes that he's there's no way he's going to get his hands on enough head and shoulders to stop her now. The dandruff shampoo? Yeah, that's his stuff. The active ingredient is selenium sulfide. The queen tells him that... Uh, <laughs> The only reason Picard is there on her invitation is because she's a sloppy bitch who loves drama (laughs) and an audience for watching their futures end. She's so obsessed with their futures ending. Yeah. And he's like, God, I feel like my memory may be failing, but I do feel like I've heard (laughs) that particular turn of phrase come out of your mouth before. Before you continue, would you mind if I found a corner to urinate in? (laughs) (laughs) I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. 
And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. You treat her like a lady. You treat her like a lady. She'll go. 
meanwhile, one deck up, Worf and Riker find an access node that I guess has the information they need about where the broadcast <laughs> core is. Ben, did you have any guesses before uh, we access the ship's computer about where the beacon would be relative to the rest of the ship? I mean, my head was in the space of a Borg cube having a strangely generalized design where mm-hmm. no particular specialty in any one section. Oh, you mean your guess wasn't the exact center of the ship? <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, yeah. When they reveal this, though, this wakes up a bunch of uh-huh. Borg drones. Uh, you know, not a lot of Borg drones left on this cube, but yeah. the ones that are start waking up and we cut back to the space battle and we get this very cool, like this This chef can fucking fly. This guy is good. You could argue that with a little more ambition, he could be more than a space chef, right? Yeah. But maybe all he wants to be is a chef and that's what makes him happy. And you know what? That's fine. Stop putting a hierarchy on different ways that people, you know, remunerate themselves. <laughs> you know, like work is work and it's all noble in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to be like really chagrined though. Like when he does that barrel roll, it does cut down to the mess hall and the cake is just tumbling against the walls and floor. Really good restraint on this episode from turning this guy into the porkins of the thing. Like I full on expected some isos on him. Yeah. And some reacts on him, but they don't overdo this character in a way that I'm I'm grateful for. Good choice. Yeah. Did you recognize what type of alien he was? He seemed familiar, but I I could not say. Yeah. Bigger nerds than me will know exactly what alien species this guy is. Yeah. Right in. Tell Bill Tilly what species he is. Like Bill doesn't fucking know. Ben, you alluded to it before, but this idea that the Borg's queen articulates about like they don't need to assimilate anymore. They can propagate the species the way they have already, you know, using the DNA from the transporters. But also, now that they've uh, created a species here out of the transporter, what they've got can reproduce. Right. The old-fashioned way. And you know what that means, Ben? Borgies on every ship. (laughs) And your dogs, all of them will be corgis. (laughs) That's all you get from now until the end of time. Wow. Borgies and corgis. <laughs> That's your sick plan. Oh, no. <laughs> ah! <laughs> uh, so it turns out that Vanek and the Borgs were working in a very non-hierarchical way. It was a team effort. And this like new biotech has enabled the Borgs to not be dependent on cybernetic technology i guess they can assimilate using you know transporters or whatever and that can free up the queen to really focus on her true passion her new passion which is ruenge what does it mean it means omata it means rewenge they're gonna just like exterminate people they're not even about assimilation anymore well i mean that would create their perfect universe right in their own image yeah Get rid of these junk unborgs. Right. <laughs> worthless fleshies. They've moved on from imperialism to just straight up ethnic cleansing. Right. On Titan, uh, those assimilated youths that you thought were safely locked in the transporter room, they bust out. Yeah. 
And at the same time, the fleet turned some of its weapons on Titan. This is by design. The Titan was meant to run interference behind the fleet, getting a bunch of their weapons off of space dock. But, I mean, you got to wonder how much the Titan's going to be able to take from the entire fleet, even if it's a small percentage of their fire going in their direction. I mean, at least the Titan can bob and weave on, like, space dock. Right. I loved the sequence of... Riker and Worf in combat with the Borgs. Like, Worf taking shots and cutting Borgs up was just fucking awesome. Worf gets shot so much in this scene, and it's never alluded to again. He's shot, like, six times. He's got, like, bullet holes in him later. I mean... When he falls asleep? They shouldn't let him fall asleep on the bridge. (laughs) Worf, no, you've lost too much of your Pepto-Bismol blood. Stay awake, Worf. (laughs) The entrepreneur is also getting shot at, and uh, there was a very hard-to-follow sequence of it doing a speedy flyby through a bunch of the antennas on the cube because the ship was perfectly dead center in the frame for most of this shot, so it was behind my email address. (laughs) (laughs) I really love all of the exterior shots of the d and uh, I will take all of them that I can get. But there is something about the scale of starships moving slowly that evokes a sense of their mass Yeah, that I really missed in this scene and in, a, in the later scene during the Death Star run that the Enterprise D does where it moves so fast, Yeah, you lose a sense of its scale. And I understand that like the Borg's ship is so enormous that it would look that way by comparison, but... I wish these scenes were slowed down a little bit to to evoke that feeling because there's something so beautiful about the ship moving at the speed that we've always seen it and something a little video gamey about it bouncing around as quickly as it does in a couple of scenes here. That's always been the thing that really separates Star Trek from other science fiction too is like so many of the ship shots are like slow and stately mm-hmm. and... You know, like the ships can go fast, but they're not like super dynamic. And like the Defiant turned that all on its head. But that was because like the rest of that show was stuck at a single point in space. That's a great comp. It really feels like what if Enterprise D were Defiant in these scenes. And that's how it moves. But I think that's the right way to think about it, that the cube is so much bigger that it's like... I feel like that does sort of excuse it in a way. And like, it makes me think of the the shuttle pod, you know, and the all the chaff being exploded in Best of Both Worlds right. in a, a whole new way, you know? Like, if if this is like the scale that the that cubes have always been relative to the D, and I think that that's sort of the, the case that's being made here, then that shuttle is like microscopic almost. It felt like when you when you go to like a park and see model airplanes being flown, they never look quite scale because of the the speed of their movements. Right. It kind of felt like that, you know? Yeah, I I feel that. Beverly is great at tactical, right? Torpedoes away, locking phasers and returning fire. Oh yeah. She really kicks a lot of ass. Pretty good at shooting. Yeah. For a girl. Hey, that was pretty good for Rambo. Speaking of mass, I love the bit about Worf's sword being hella heavy. <laughs> I do too. That is great. Oh, shit. Ah, I have no idea it was that heavy. The hilt. <laughs> and the secret phaser in the hilt. Yeah. Ah, so much cool about Worf's sword. Worf really, 
I would not have bet on this before the season, but like really one of the most enjoyable characters of all of them. Yeah. At or near the top is Worf. He's great. So on the bridge of the D, they are realizing that they need to go right to the heart of the cube. So they they talk about this maze run that they're going to have to complete to get to the center. Too tricky to navigate, even for a supercomputer, even for Jordy's daughter. But Data has a gut sense that he can do it. And uh, this is Data's big moment to ask everybody to throw their trust in him. Great restraint by Data not stomping on the idea of he and Jordy's daughter being equivalent in any way regarding this task. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if there were ever a moment where Data was going to drop an F-bomb, I think that would have been it. (laughs) (laughs) They've got to trust Data here. And, you know, in the moment, you're thinking, like... The odds are too great. But what other choice do they have? Like, it's bad odds or no odds. So they take the bad odds and they ride with Data. Data is their co-pilot. And their pilot. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty fun. The greatest trick. Hey, Adam. RSVP space doc. This is a really great scene of it kind of listing back toward Earth. Yeah. I really wondered how much more we'd see of this. Like, I wondered if it w- we were going to see it burn up or, like, impact the surface. Is it big enough that it would impact? Like, it feels like it feels like it's probably got, like, warp core stuff inside of it that if it hit the surface of the Earth, it would, like, be an extinction-level event kind of a situation. That's what I thought their plan would be. But instead... On the Titan Bridge, they they realize all of the ships of the fleet are targeting cities on Earth. And Ben, this is like an unnecessary dunk that they name just about every major city on Earth, but no Fresno. Mm. A glaring omission. I mean, the people of Fresno are used to it, but... Uh... <laughs> but yeah, really harsh. Yeah. No one targets Las Vegas. That's a city you don't hear. Yeah. I mean, it's not not much of a population center after global warming, right? Yeah, I guess so. The LaForge sisters took out the cloaking device, which is a real shame because that thing belongs in a museum. Oh, wait, (laughs) it was in one. They make quick work of this, shooting it up, and then they make their way to the bridge. That's not going to be good. Back in the throne room, Picard starts just pulling plugs out of Jack and... The queen is saying like, hey, like, yeah, unplug him all you want, but it's just going to, you know, short him out. Like, he'll go into shock, basically. There's this weird glitch with the Borg's queen where she's like, now when you go into work on electrical switches, (laughs) you're going to want to turn off the power at the panel first. (laughs) To test whether these outlets are truly off, we plugged a radio in, playing... Top 40 hits, and then went to the panel to turn it off and listened to hear the song stop. You can go to your local home center and find a device that you can plug into any outlet that illuminates if there's power and turns off if there's not. So while that's happening, they find out that they can't shoot the beacon without destroying the entire ship. And they're like, okay, so that means, okay, let me do the math here. That's Jack, Picard. Riker, Worf, Borg Queen. Mm -hmm. Seems like kind of even money. Yeah. It's four people against four trillion. 
people. <laughs> it's a real uh, needs of the many calculation, but you know they're not super excited about it. I guess nobody's excited about it except for Worf, who is like really excited about it. I mean, he's wanted to die for time in Mimirium. <laughs> this could be his his way out. So they tell Riker and Worf the stakes of this thing. Like they've talked it over on the bridge and then they finally tell Riker and Worf, hey, we got to pull you out. We're about to shoot this thing. And Riker's like, no way. Not a chance. They're going for Picard. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to leave their man in the field because Picard doesn't know about this. And in the throne room, he realizes that the only way to truly run from the collective is to run to the collective. The one thing you never want to do is take a live wire and hold it up to your own neck. <laughs> Rich Trithui did that two decades ago and he's never been the same. Our homeowner is about to demonstrate why. <laughs> Were you shocked by this? There's a whole preamble to the moment. Picard's like, you know, I fucking hate the Borgs and everything you represent and I... I've spent a long part of my life just avoiding you people. I, I cross the other side of the street whenever I see you. Now, now I'm thinking, and then he holds up the cable to his own face. He's like, I'm going in, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a, a great turn of writing. Yeah, yeah. You know, the best drama is about characters being challenged in the hardest ways for them and... Going back in is the hardest thing Picard could do, so that's what he's got to do. He's spent his entire post-Wolf 359 life avoiding and burying and stuffing yeah. this whole thing down. It is amazing to watch him flip that switch in himself. And it looks extremely painful, not only emotionally, but physically. When he plugs in, yeah. it's scary to see an old man do this and look like this like this is a really strong patrick stewart performance in this moment and he meets up inside the borg matrix with jack and it's like lots of like wisps of green smoke i feel like they knew this episode was coming out on 420 when they wrote it oh yeah i mean immediately you see this liminal borg space and you're like calm down a little bit yeah like oh man this this must be an indica cube. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's purple. Maybe <laughs> care with that shit, man. Jean-Luc runs into Jack, and God, Jack just seems really happy with his circumstances and his new friends. And he's like, can't you be happy for me, Dad? I love this new crew. Yeah. We're going on adventures. I, I finally feel like I have a sense of community that I've never had before. Classic dispute between an old and their teenage son yeah. who's like running with the bad kids now yeah it's true and Jean-Luc holds up a bunch of cue cards where he's written his own story of finding his belonging and his friends and his family and he just like pulls them up and and tosses them aside mm -hmm. except for the one on top just says like a lot of people think bald men are very dumb <laughs> And he keeps pulling the cards away, but he's pulling them away from the back of the stack. So oh no, the sign just stays the same the entire time. That's a bad moment. Yeah. I mean, none of this convinces Jack. He really wants to stay in spite of everything his father's telling him. And that's how it goes. So instead, Picard is going to keep like running toward Jack. Like he's he's been running toward Jack this whole season. 
He ran toward Jack in assimilating himself. He's going to stay there with Jack. He's not like if Jack doesn't want to leave, then Picard doesn't want to leave either. Yeah. Families that Borg together. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> MaximumFun.org together. <laughs> Corgi together. I said that because of the t-shirt you're wearing. Oh, right, right. <laughs> I literally looked around the room for the first thing I could see that. <laughs> you really Peter Griffin that that moment. If you think that's bad. <laughs> Back on the D, Ben, they're out of time. I mean, yeah. it, it's now or never. And this is Jordy's fire moment. The camera doesn't push in on his face and we don't get a music swell to emphasize the point, but... When Jordy tells Beverly to fire on the beacon, everyone there knows what it means. And it's brutal that it's Beverly that has to actually push the button. Yeah. And to her credit, she sucks it up and does it. And we see the the beacon start to come apart. And, you know, the BQ is very cranky when this happens. Was the BQ a person or a puppet, did you think? Oh, I thought it was a person. I thought it was Alice Kreish. Because the credit is just that she's the voice of. Oh, interesting. And it like moved around in this way that made me sort of You thought it was a little bit Chuck E. Cheesy? I thought it like had a little bit of Chuck E. Cheese to it. Like it's an amazing puppet if it's a puppet. Welcome to the Borg ship. (laughs) (laughs) We're so glad you're here. The E stands for Empire. <laughs> Elsewhere, Sam Neill is like covered in scars and on fire uh-huh. next to the beacon. Like he's going to be locked there forever. Yeah. Once this thing blows. Yeah, he's pulled his eyeballs out. <laughs> Where am I going? We won't need eyes to see. <laughs> I love that on the cube, you feel the bangers of the shockwave. Like these senses tie all of these different sequences together and you see this a lot in this episode and this entire season like actions happening in one scene ripple into the scenes of another we go back into this liminal space and you know they have 60 seconds starting now to to get everyone out and jack starts to kind of flashback to all these moments between him and Picard and him and Beverly. And I felt like it was a really nice, artful little montage demonstrating the, like, not always happy, but real connections that he has to other people. Yeah. I mean, this is all you could do. So this is not a criticism, but it is really like all of the treasured memories that they have over the last couple days. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but that's all they have. Right. And those treasured memories are more real. Like the the connections that Jack has with his family are more real than what the board queen is offering him. It's very sad that none of those memories are of Crash LaForge or their blossoming romance. That was sad to me, too. Yeah. It seems like that is what helps him disconnect from the collective, uh-huh. though. And Riker, like, telepathies his Chief O'Brien note to Imzadi. Like, <laughs> he didn't write it down before he left, but he uh, he, he sends it that way. Uh-huh. And uh, 
Troy like sits up in her seat and she's like, I know where they are and goes over and gets in the pilot's position. Troy is like, I, I feel my husband, like he's experiencing a great amount of grief. I'm going to get up in those brains and stop him from feeling the grief. <laughs> <laughs> and Riker's like, no, that, that's no, not what didn't we talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> that's not what this is. Counselor's going to counsel, man. Yeah. We talked about the ship moving really fast, but I thought that the way the ship looked coming in overhead looked great. And one of my favorite shots of of the series was like, it's like a fucking Huey. Yeah. Dropping in over a a building's rooftop. Yeah. Last helicopter out of Borg Nam. Yeah. And uh, if the destruction of Space Dock could be topped, I think it is topped by the destruction of this cube. Yeah. It comes apart in space and the D, you know, escapes in the nick of time. And did you happen to, to look at the red dot, Ben? No more storm. Wow. Yeah. See, that's how it happens. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's all building to a head on the bridge of the Titan. You know, the youngs are pointing weapons at the olds. And then there's like an almost instant de assimilation because they're not getting that signal anymore. And I like how they like look a little bit embarrassed, like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> the embarrassment of murdering a bunch of your crew people <laughs> yeah that day have you ever been to like a uh a, a hypnotism show and like the yeah. hypnotist gets somebody to like do something a little bit racy and then like snaps their fingers and breaks the spell and they're like wow <laughs> i feel like that's terry metallis's direction here like this is a workplace and you were just hypnotized into doing yeah. something racy and now you're back yeah like you were you were unbuttoning your top yeah. and now you're back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now uh, now Deborah from HR. <laughs> <laughs> Standing right in front of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back on the Enterprise D, Jean-Luc has brought Jack home, and Jack looks like RoboCop. Yeah. He got the face prosthetic off before coming up to the bridge. I want to know all about that interstitial scene. Like, did he tear it from his face? Yeah. Was, was Picard like, you know... I think your mother is going to be quite horrified with the... And then he sort of gestures in his face. You're going to be looking a lot of people in the eye, and if that laser hits their retina, it can do quite a lot of damage. So let's get this off now before you go up there. I think the degree of difficulty on this scene is really, really hard. And it's not just for like all the hugs and stuff. It is... Jack walking onto that bridge looking the way he does. Like, it's hard not to make this look ridiculous, and it doesn't, is what I'm trying to say. He doesn't look silly. He doesn't look like a weirdo in a weird suit. Yeah. I think that they really cracked a tricky thing about shooting this bridge in a very wide aspect ratio because the compositions in all of the bridge scenes in this episode really work well. Like they, they got the camera like low and shooting up mm-hmm. a lot of the time so that you could get people in the foreground and background yep. without, you know, cutting heads off above the horseshoe. It was a terrible fucking decision to destroy the ship for uh, more film-friendly versions. Yeah. They could have kept it. They could have kept it. Worf, you know, plops himself down in one of the seats. I love that he's got the canonical purple blood yeah. Drying on his outfit. He falls asleep. And then we kind of cut to 
a a raker's log where we're talking about all the mop up and this begins one of i want to say a dozen endings episode it starts with that shot straight out of star trek 6 where uh, the titans right next to the enterprise d and this reminded me so much of kirk's enterprise next to sulu's excelsior before it peels off at the end like totally right on down to the lighting of those ships this is so beautiful beverly has gotten a job as the head of starfleet's medical division and she figured out a way to both uh reverse the transporter glitch that has been edited into everybody's genes and also scan for golds and uh it seems like they're still catching those guys left and right we get a great scene with Captain Tuvok and Seven, in which the dead speak. Hello, my friends. You know, Captain Shaw was doing those crew evaluations at the beginning of the season, and turns out that uh, that wasn't a canard. It gets called back. Yeah. He's, he's recommending the properly named Seven of Nine to be elevated to the rank of captain. I thought, you know, like the, the scenes between Tuvok and Seven of Nine, I thought, were really nice every time they happened in this season. And um, I like that they didn't kill Tuvok off screen. <laughs> yeah, uh, good job by the changelings not killing everyone. Yeah. You know? Class X at the end of the day. <laughs> Class X by comparison, I guess. Yeah. Raffi's image with her family has been rehabilitated. She gets like a, a FaceTime call with her granddaughter and uh, she finds out that this is all because Worf anonymously leaked her covert service record to the press and her family was able to see that she wasn't lying when she told them that she was doing important secret work for Starfleet. Sadly, she'll never be able to work undercover again after this. Yeah, they kind of, they made a Valerie Plame of... <laughs> Raffy Musiker. (laughs) (laughs) Worf goes in for a hug on her. And how nice is that? Worf became a hugger. That was his character arc in this season. (laughs) Yeah. We cut over to a therapy session between Data and Troy, where Data overruns his time. And this is something that happens a lot. Yeah. He's got daily therapy sessions that he routinely goes over on. Let me just say, whatever <laughs> Data's health insurance is, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> <laughs> They're kicking you out early, Ben. <laughs> she's about as interested in Data's cat story as I am. Like, she's just totally off in another world looking at vacation spots right. for her and Riker. Vacation spots that they'll be booking for quite a while in the future because we got to one year later. Yeah. And they really put it off, don't they? The D is finally where it belongs in the circle around the Fleet Museum. We get a little uh, a little farewell to the bridge scene with uh, Riker, Picard, and Geordi. We find out that Space Dock uh, was rebuilt in a year. Admiral Mommy and Admiral Daddy are dropping their Nepo baby, Ensign Jack, off at his new job. You know, I, I bet his... Fellow crew people call him Ensign Jackoff also. (laughs) Uh, I really thought that they were going to do a Star Trek IV callback and fly past the the Titan to reveal another, like, I thought USS Picard was a possibility. I thought that too for a moment. 
turns out they've rechristened the Titan as the Enterprise G because the Enterprise F lasted one day. <laughs> it is kind of named after Picard, Ben, because in the NATO alphabet, they, they call it out NCC 1701 Grandpa. <laughs> and Picard is overcome by, by this. He's genuinely touched by this moment. It's very, very sweet. This scene really feels like it is the, like they baked the pitch for the next show right into the end of this show. Yeah. He's going to be serving as a special counselor to Captain Seven and Raffi as number one and the rest of the surviving Titan bridge crew are there. Can we just point out what a fucking mess of a bridge crew this is dramatically? Like a couple of X's as the captain and the and the XO, Picard's kid as counselor. We've got XBs all around us. <laughs> we got a fucking yeah. chef. You you better pray that the chef is back there making cakes. Yeah, yeah, he's because like, he's been through some he's shit. He's like frantically scraping frosting off the walls and trying to like get it back onto the cake. <laughs> and then like. There's this weird moment where where Jack becomes Seven's fucking footstool on the bridge. Like, <laughs> unclear exactly what his role is outside of, like, just serving at the feet of, of Seven here as counselor. Yeah. But uh, they, they do an absolutely insane amount of buildup over what Seven's catchphrase is going to be as a captain. Just... Draw this moment out and give it as much dramatic tension as they possibly can build up. And then they fucking cut away. What did you think it was going to be? I was so sure I knew what it was. Because we've been covering Voyager on our hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. I thought it would be Proceed. Because she says that so much. Yeah. On Voyager. I thought it might be acceptable. (laughs) Yeah, we cut away before we hear it. We cut to black. It's a fucking Sopranos ending, Ben. <laughs> we got the card and Beverly struggling to parallel park the uh, the shuttle. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just uh, quiet. I need to concentrate. <laughs> Turn down this journey song. <laughs> So finally, Ben, our third or maybe fourth ending to the episode. They return to Hobbiton, where uh, up at Bag End, they're finally able to retire and finish the last chapter of Bilbo's book. I'm sure that's going to hit for a lot of people. (laughs) It's just not going to hit me. (laughs) They're back at 10 forward now. I thought it was very sad that Guinan was a no-show in this last scene because they name-check her. I mean, they look-check her, too. Jordy, it, it makes it seem as though she's in Jordy's eyeline before he turns back toward the rest of his friends. Yeah. You see, she said something uh, unfortunate on The View. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she provided, whether intentionally or not, cover for Christo-fascist politics... <laughs> And it just wouldn't work at a time like this. I love, have you ever enjoyed an open bar in this way? Like we've gone to weddings and stuff before and it's like, there's definitely a bartender. You got to have one of those. But damn, 
to be at a bar after it's closed and just to like grab bottles. This is amazing. What a happy ending. Yeah. The median income of San Francisco <laughs> in the 24th century is zero. That's because we're in a post-capitalist society. This bar doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Nobody in this area can even afford to buy alcohol. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> they play a little uh, toast chicken here <laughs> before Picard finally gets to. And I know this isn't officially me winning a bet, but it definitely feels like a moment you and I hope to see in this final episode. The idea of Picard either eulogizing or toasting the rest of this crew and that he does it with Shakespeare and the part of Julius Caesar that it is, is such a good toast Yeah, from this specific person to these specific people. The only thing that could make it better is what he does next, which is pull out a playing card and uh, they go sit down and play some poker you know how weird it is when, when like you hear sabotage in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek? When Picard pulls this ace, it's like, oh, la, 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 la. Oh, no. Go, go, go. Can't read my, can't read my, can't read my poker face. <laughs> And that's where the money goes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's winning big pots off of uh, his former crew. And we roll credits over just an, a staggering amount of coverage of the crew playing poker together. Yeah. It's really sweet. It's like, uh, you know, like the specific dialogue kind of fades into the background. And it's just us spending time with characters spending time with people that they love. And I thought it was really sweet. If the end of Star Trek The Next Generation, this series, wasn't so strong, like, haters will say it's a reheat, but this shot is so meaningful to so many people. Yeah. And the moment that ends the TV series was so beautiful that it doesn't feel like that it doesn't feel cheap no it feels earned and that seems like some special magic i really loved it yeah i did too i turned off the tv after this uh was any did anything else happen oh ben <laughs> i know we were in a hurry to get on the mics here but something does happen in a in a post credit scene jack crusher is in a diner still wearing his borgs costume <laughs> and a man with an eye patch walks in. <laughs> no, what actually happens is Jack's in his quarters and he's unpacking his bag, which is not a hard round pelican case. Terry, what are you doing? What are you doing, Terry? <laughs> You didn't save anything for the swim back. You got it almost perfect. And then this fucking unstructured duffel bag hits the bed. What are you doing? Crew members aboard the Enterprise G are issued <laughs> soft duffel bags instead of hard pelican cases. 
and you load a bunch of iPads into that, people are going to see exactly how many iPads are in there. It doesn't conceal it at all. What are you thinking? Shut it down. Oh, and there's a cue. And Jack Crusher keeps a loaded phaser in that duffel bag. Yeah. He's on trial, Ben. Yep. He is on trial. Like his father before him, which means that the Q continuum doesn't have that thing where you're not held accountable for the crimes of your family. I was shocked by this. I was just... Should I have been shocked by this? Mm. I mean, I was shocked by it too. I don't know if, we're, if we should or should not be. I was <laughs> incredulous. <laughs> <sighs> Did you like this episode, Ben? I really did like this episode. I'm not sure how I feel about that last moment. Yeah. We have a secret project that we're working on that had me rewatching a bit of Chaos on the Bridge the other day. Mm-hmm. The uh, documentary that Shatner made about the pilot of Star Trek The Next Generation. And, um, you know, part of the drama of that movie is about how Gene Roddenberry had. DC Fontana write a script and then he basically stole it from her and added a whole bunch of shit. And the whole, the original script was about Farpoint Station and he added all of that stuff about Q and, you know, made it kind of a mess, made it a episode that really feels like two concurrent episodes that don't have anything to do with each other in many ways. Right. But, um, Part of this is that it gets him like residuals, you know, extra residuals on the entire series for time and Miriam. And part of it is that he gets paid extra on the pilot and takes, you know, shine and money away from DC Fontana. And part of it is that he really had a ax to grind about this kind of secular humanism that he was interested in at the time. And the, Q storyline was his way of injecting that signature optimism for the future into the script that is really important to Star Trek. And I've always had like really mixed feelings about Q as a character and as a storyline. But I think it, it, it does come from a very interesting place in storytelling. And I think without Q, I don't know if TNG would quite have the rep it has as being the reaffirmation of an optimistic vision of the future that the original Star Trek was kind of trying for, but hadn't quite fully articulated. Yeah, because trial on humanity is the container in which every Star Trek story exists, right? Yeah. So in many ways, that end, I guess, feels like a button on a very dark chapter for Star Trek because Star Trek Picard does not take place in a future that looks nice to live in. You know, the Federation... Well, I mean, Fresno still exists. I don't know if if the fleet were able to target and destroy all the cities, right? Right, right. And so, like, that in itself is bleak and dismaying. That's no future I want to live in. There's so much, like, corruption and you know, darkness and, you know, a lot of that is like an external force working on the Federation and the changelings and the Borgs. But Star Trek Picard has been 
significantly darker than TNG in a way that I think it is fair of people to criticize it for. And I think that this ending of this season and this ending of this series being about family and the real connections we make with each other and like repudiating the temptations of, you know, the Borgs and like perfection and, and all that. And also sort of reasserting the, it's the trial of humanity at the end kind of really works for me on a very deep level. I really enjoyed it. I think that, uh, there's still a lot of unevenness in Star Trek Picard and I have complex feelings about it overall as a series, but I, can't think of a better way that they could have ended it. What you said about like the central themes about feeling isolated and then like finding a family you can belong in. I mean, Hammer articulated that desire so beautifully in Strange New Worlds. Yeah. But it made me think a lot about how much of new Star Trek tries to center that as its core value and how that doesn't always work. And I think one of the main reasons it works here is because it's these people. Like, gratitude and respect given to Star Trek Discovery for making this show possible. But I think the moments of Discovery that didn't work for me were when it attempted to so strongly evoke those feelings and project that message with characters we hardly know. And I think the reason it works here is because this crew is our family, and on Discovery... I don't know you like that. Like it's it's like the difference between having a family conversation and being sat down in front of a guidance counselor who's trying to give you right. you know direction for your life. Like cool, I get it, you're a professional, but like I don't know you like that and you don't get to access me in that way. Yeah, and you don't know me like that also. Like <laughs> Right. Right. So, I think you're spot on with why it's able to hit the way that it does. I think it is really bold how, for so many reasons, like respect to Terry Metalis, gratitude to Terry Metalis, and and everyone who made this season possible, it felt really great in a lot of places to to go through it. Like it's funny, his job is strange in a series and a season finale. He's just got to land this plane, right? He's got to tie everything up, and he can't crash it. It's almost like. His job is to just not ruin it instead of do something successful mm-hmm. in a weird way. And I think this is a success. It it ties everything up in an elegant way. There were some moments throughout the season that felt a little strange in terms of their decisions, but he landed this plane and respect to everyone involved for making it happen. Yeah. He's like the opposite of gofobo.com right. in many ways. I can't get over how he sent the elevator back down again at the end of this episode, like with not only instructions, but like he sent himself back down the elevator (laughs) again. Yeah. And he didn't have to do that. I just, I'm really curious about what makes him tick and like what his reasons were for this and how much he will concede in an interview about it. Because... There are a lot of specific choices made toward the end here. And they are made, you know, like when you were describing Gene Roddenberry and how he worked with and worked over DC Fontana, like 
when you make these decisions, you set a direction for what's to come. And in many ways, you take decisions away from people right. involved in in making new Star Trek. So I wonder what's next after this, given what we've seen. Yeah, me too. Whatever's next, we will cover it here on Greatest Trek. Yeah, you know we will. Hell of a season, Ben. I'm uh, glad we got to experience it together. Me too. What a thing. I'm sort of spinning, but uh, I feel like I could recenter myself by reading some Priority One messages. All right, let's do that. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Adam, our first Priority One message here is of a personal nature. It's from Sam, and it's to Alex, and it goes like this. All of the computer wizardry of Star Trek cannot compare to the random dating site algorithm that brought us together. Happy birthday, my love, my partner in life, and its travels. Together, we are smart. Love you, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Sam and Alex sound cool as hell. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations, you two. Ben, our second priority one message is from AJ. It's to Pete. That message goes like this. To the best friend a Shimoda could ask for, and the owner of, in Ben and Adam's opinion, the horniest couch in the quadrant. (laughs) Wow. Happy birthday. It is a travesty that you are heading over the hill. <laughs> Keep an eye out for anybody, anybody can you. <laughs> Man. Do you remember this couch? I don't remember the horny couch, but uh, I think I feel like I can picture it, <laughs> even though I don't remember it. I think it's Lips Couch, right? Lips is the horniest couch. Oh, it's Lips Couch. I was just the thinking quadrant, black right? leather couch. Oh, well, I mean, that's a pretty horny couch. Yeah, a lot of horny shit has gone down on black leather couch, but lips, ha- lips couch, I, I feel like might be it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No right. one even has lips couch. That's the thing. Like, have, we've seen Miriam black couches in all sorts of places, right? But like, when was the last time you saw lips couch in person? Lips couch actual? Yeah. Pretty rare. I'd love to see it. Rare to sight. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to get a rare Priority One message, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and book yours today. Uh, we got some really exciting episodes coming up over the interregnum between Star Treks, so uh, make sure you've booked yours. Ben, the friends of DeSoto have demanded it, and I will do it. Ben, hmm. did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? <laughs> In honor of what may be the the last adventure for the crew of Star Trek The Next Generation, we're taking it all the way back to Drunk Shimoda's. All the way back. I'm going to give it to Data one more time. He has that line about how he hates the Borg. It's very motivated. It's very much, it's well articulated. Why? But all I could think of when he said that was the only other time I could remember him saying he hated something and yeah. it was a drink. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I hate this. I love it. It is revolting. More? Please. He hates green drinks and the Borgs. <laughs> and he's all out of green drinks. <laughs> so it, uh, that really made me laugh. Uh, how about you? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? My drunk Shimoda is going to go to a character who has been on more episodes of Star Trek than any other, 
notably the record holder yeah. in both episodes of Star Trek and in Drunk Shimoda's. <laughs> Worf. Worf, son of Moog, yeah. is my Drunk Shimoda. I think he's the drunkest Shimoda we've ever had on Greatest yeah, Gen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, how could it be anyone else? He's He's been great all season. He really has. He was great this episode specifically. What an achievement, sketching out his character for this series. Just awesome work. Yeah. Drunkest Shimoda there ever was. We love you, Worf. Yeah. We stand a legend. Yeah. We stand two legends. <laughs> 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 well, Adam, uh, we should talk about what's coming up next for this show. Uh, we're going to be reviewing a bunch of TV and movies uh, that important people from the Star Trek averse have appeared in that are not Star Trek things. So the first one next week is going to be the pilot of the 12 Monkeys series that Terry Metalis was the showrunner of. And uh, it's an interesting pilot. There's a lot of uh, faces in it from this season of Star Trek Picard in particular. And uh, I think it's a really fun episode. So make sure you tune in for that. We'll tell you a little bit more about what we have planned for the rest of this seven-week break in between Star Trek Picard and Strange New Worlds at the top of that episode. But uh, I'm really excited about it. I think these are going to be... Uh, really cool episodes, a really fun sandbox for us to play in while uh, while we wait for Anson Mount's return. Yeah, we've already recorded a couple episodes and spring break on Greatest Trek is going to be tons of fun. Hope you join us. Adam, we always like to end episodes of Greatest Trek with a segment we call Warning Boaz. It's uh, where we call out uh, posts on the internet that help uh, guide people that would not be interested in our show away from it and people that would be interested in our show toward it. <laughs> Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. This warning buoy is in reference to our previous episode, and it's from Bridge Makes on the Friends of DeSoto.social Mastodon instance. There's a way to like do a, a spoiler warning on Mastodon, so you have to expand the post to read this. Uh, but Bridge Make says, I love this episode of Picard, but what I loved more was hearing Ben and Adam gushing about it. I came to Trek as an adult, so it didn't hit me the same way as it did them, but I do feel that I got to experience some of what they did by spending time with the pod. I platonically love what you guys do. Also, Wendy Pretty, your edits make the show, so you're included in the gushing too. Hashtag greatest Trek. Wow, plenty of gush to go around. Yeah. Thanks, Bridge Makes. It's really nice to hear. I think that, um, you know, episode nine will go down in history as one of my favorite episodes of television ever, if not my favorite episode of television. I mean, it could, it could always be knocked off of first place. But sure. uh, boy, I think that that's so special. I'm going to go rewatch it right now. We'll wow. <laughs> You're going to go rewatch an episode while I record an episode of Greatest Trek by myself? Yeah, sorry. How I, dare you? I got some stuff to do. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, if you'd like to get a shout out on the show, make sure to use the hashtag Greatest Trek and tag at Greatest Trek on a social media post or, you know, leave a nice review of the show and uh, we might read it out loud over here. 
Yeah, growing the show really helps, and reviews are how you do it. They sure are. Well, with that, we're going to toss the keys for the last time with the Star Trek Picard series to Wendy Pretty. And we'll be back next week with 12 Monkeys. Excited for that. Greatest Trek is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Thanks for bringing the pod along with you for Picard Season 3. This show has covered every episode of New Trek and a lot of other fun things as well. There are years of back catalog that you can scroll through if you're new to the pod. But next Friday, we're kicking off Spring Break with the 12 Monkeys pilot from 2015. You can find that on Hulu in the U.S., and we will see you back here for that. The music that you're hearing right now and throughout the show was composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and YouTube cooking channel that we highly recommend. You can find it by searching for Adam Ragusea. Nick Dittmore created the show art and Bill Tilly manages the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Make sure you're following those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. You can also find Friends of DeSoto on Facebook, Reddit, and Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.